I'm excited to be back preaching this morning and kicking off a brand new teaching series, but I'm going to forewarn you, it's an exciting morning for me, first of all. It's my 16-year anniversary, so... You know, I thought about this. I think seven years ago, I sang to my wife on stage. I even had a guitar and everything. Um, I'm going to spare you from that. <laughs> I'm not sure Lisa really loved that. Line. Why was there so many claps? The <laughs> uh, but, you know, it is 16 years, and so I'm excited to celebrate that with my wife. Um, but as I get into this morning, I told you there was two things. A second, I may get a little passionate. I'm not going to apologize uh, this morning's message can get a little heavy towards the end, but I believe in our culture today, sometimes we're afraid to talk about who God is and what it means in our lives, and we're not going to be that kind of place. So we're going to get into God's word and ask him to speak to us as we kick off a brand new teaching series called No Other Gods. And over these four weeks together, we're going to be looking at, as we our theme for the year is to develop the heart of God within our congregation and we looked then for the last few weeks about how to dream again and say, God, how could you use me and to make an impact, to create new uh, things in our culture to reach people for Christ and help those in need. But if we miss the fuel for all of that to occur, the power and the might of our mighty God that we serve, we could often go try and do those things on our own willpower, and that is not our goal, is it? And so I want to talk this morning as the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy in your faith to get you distracted, to serve other things in this world other than God. We're going to prioritize these next several weeks together serving God alone first. Are you ready to study God's word, church? Come on. Turn to Isaiah chapter 40 or power one on uh, your Bible on and turn to Isaiah chapter 40, beginning in verse nine. And let me give you a little context. It's really simple. I'm just going to teach out of Isaiah 40. It's going to be a lot of scripture. You can handle it. You, you are intelligent human beings. And I, I think God is going to use this in a powerful way to remind us of, of who he is. See, at this time in Israelite history, in the Old Testament, they had begun to not listen to God anymore. And he had begun to send his prophets. And he sends the prophet Isaiah to remind them in chapter 40 about the other nations that they're afraid of that they are nothing in comparison to the might of the God that they worship and serve. And it was a tumultuous time where things were very chaotic. Anybody feel like today things just get crazier in our world? <laughs> you ever get overwhelmed? Feel like, where is the good? Why is God doing this? Why does he allow these things to happen? Where is he at? You just want to go, come on, God, get it together. The Israelites, you may not have the arrogance to do that, but the Israelites were doing that very thing. And so God spoke to them to remind them who he is. I think it's important for us today. Let's read it together. It says this in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 9. You who bring good news to Zion, go up on a high mountain. You who bring good news to Jerusalem, lift up your voice with a shout. Lift it up. Do not be afraid. Say to the towns of Judah, here is your God. It says, go to a high place. Announce it to everybody so they don't forget this is the God that we serve. Verse 10, see the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. 
Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breadth of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed mountains on the scales and the hills in a balance? Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him and who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals enough for burnt offerings. We're going to break all this down here. Verse 17, before him, all the nations are as nothing. They are regarded him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They will look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. He says, you forgotten who the mighty, powerful God of the universe is. I want you to shout it from the top. Here is your God. And instead, some of you are going to go and you're going to try and create false gods, idols out of wood or metals. Do we have any metal workers in the room? (laughs) Probably not many of you. Most of you probably don't have statues in your basement, although idolatry like that still exists today. But we all are prone to the temptations of the enemy to turn our devotion and worship to other things in God. And the question I want to ask you is, what idols have crept into your life this morning? I think this is an important thing in our generation, that there are things that are taking our devotion and worship away from God, distracting us from his purpose and reality, keeping us from dreaming big dreams for him and being used by him and ultimately devastating our lives, our families, our relationships, and our faith in God. And that's what I want to talk about. Will you pray with me? God, we sang about it, but we're going to pause here. We're just going to acknowledge your presence in the room with us right now. I know that this was a hard message that you brought through the prophet Isaiah to Israel during a tumultuous time in their history. God, I pray that this message in scripture, that what is of me, of my words would be taken away, what you genuinely want us to hear this morning that it might seep deep into our souls to transform us to be more like you, to be made more in your image. We surrender this morning to you. We worship you. We praise you. And we give you everything. It's in your name we pray. And all God's family said, amen. Amen. Purdue fans, you've got a lot to celebrate. One woo. Some of you are nervous. You're like, where's he going with this? Uh, no, I'm being serious. You got a lot to celebrate. You are outright men's basketball Big Ten champions. There's like, are you guys nervous they're going to blow it or something? Why? Some of you guys are. Uh, you should be celebrating. It's amazing. Yeah, I know some of you are down front are like, yeah, but somebody beat them twice. You know, <laughs> that's, not, that's not where I'm going with it. That's not where I'm going with it. Purdue fans, you can, you can settle down. Uh, What I want to tell you is you have had an amazing season, and if you're attending online for different parts of the world and you don't know where Purdue University is, it's a university here in Indiana, Division I college basketball team that won the Big Ten Championship in the regular season, will be number one seed in the tournament, uh, the Big Ten Tournament, and potentially a number one seed in the NCAA Tournament. And why have you done all of that? Because you have the biggest human being in college basketball, right? (laughs) 
If you don't watch sports or you're not familiar with men's college basketball, Zach Eady is the favorite to win the National uh, Player of the Year Award, the Naismith Award. Like, he's amazing. He's seven foot four. He's big. He gets the ball and he just turns and he like dunks on people, right? He makes it look easy. It reminds me of like watching a full grown man playing against like fifth graders in basketball. Have you ever seen that? Like, I just, it's fun if you haven't done that as a dad. You know, I, <laughs> I, can, I can remember, uh, you know, my older son especially got into basketball, and I couldn't do this now. He'd blow me out of the water because I'm getting old. But when he was like five years old, he would play a lot, and he, would get, he got really into it. You know, he'd make a few baskets, and he'd get a little cocky. You know what I'm saying? So dads, what do you do? Like, when he started doing that, kind of mouthing off a little bit, I just went in there, I'd swat that ball 30 feet out of bounds. Come on now, there was nothing better. Because when you are bigger and more powerful, it is obvious. <laughs> Nobody questions whether a dad could beat a five-year-old in a basketball game. You're like, that's bad parenting. I know, but stay with me. Uh, the, you know, I watch Zach Eady just dominates. So think about this for just a second. Uh, in most of the games, he might be playing a tall person, six foot nine or so. That's really tall, isn't it? That is seven inches shorter. That would be like the same six foot nine player having a six foot two player trying to guard them in the post. It doesn't go really well. And sometimes in our lives, we think that like God is on the same plane as other things. Struggling with temptation in our life, and I really want to live for God, but you know, I got God on one shoulder and I got Satan on the other shoulder, and, and they're both, you know, I don't, I, I give in to one or the other occasionally. You got to read the Bible. There, there's nothing, God, Satan is a created being. It was a fallen angel. The, he was the adversary of God, but he did not create. God was, there was not a time God was not. He is outside of time. He is all powerful, He's all knowing, omniscient. There's nothing, we can't even comprehend his ways. He comp compares us like an ant is to a human being, so a human being is to God. As we get into this passage this morning that we're going to look at in Isaiah chapter 40, he's reminding the Israelites, this is not a fair game. I could dominate in the post, so to speak, if I would like to. You think Zach Eady's impressive in college basketball. I want you to see the God of the universe when he determines to do something, what everything in his way looks like. You ready for this? You see, the big theme this morning is that we worship an, a powerful, mighty God. And as we talk for the next several weeks that there are no other gods before him, and we're going to study some of the things in our culture that often lead us astray, that become idols, so to speak, in our life, false gods. We first have to begin by being reminded who God is and why we worship him and why he is deserving of our worship. He is mighty and powerful. If you're taking notes as we break down the verses that we read earlier, number one, God is powerful, but he's also gentle. We forget the side of him. Look at the first two verses. Look how they started. Here is our God. And it starts by talking about his power and his might. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and he rules with a mighty arm. He could dominate anything. There is nothing that could stand in his way. There is no equal. But look at this. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs 
in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. I was diving deeper into some commentaries on this and it literally is like, he's using analogy of a shepherd that takes a small lamb, a baby, and, and brings it close to its chest like a mother that would nurture it literally under the fold of his robe. And so the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe that created everything in six days has the gentle tenderness of a, of a mother nurturing its child or a shepherd nurturing our souls. Uh, recently, if you haven't reminded about who God, if you haven't been reminded about who God is, I want to ask you, is he the shepherd of your soul? Have you allowed him to come in and to nurture you to, to, so that you could understand his grace, his love, his forgiveness, his desire for you is to draw near to him. He has the power and the might and the authority to protect you, but you have to come within his fold to draw near to him and allow him to embrace you. You see, when I was first a, became a Christian, I was 19. Uh, I was in a fraternity house. I won't go into detail all the stories, but I was not living for God. I knew about God. I believed in the concept of God. I, I might have even prayed occasionally, but I had never really surrendered everything in my life to Jesus as Lord. And I was living a lifestyle that was really far from him, partying, throwing parties, being involved in all the kinds of things that you can imagine. And in a moment, things changed in my life and I began to go, okay, God, I want to get to know you. And I drew near to him and, and he began to shepherd my soul. And as he, he, he drew near, I drew near to him and he nurtured me, I began to change things in my life. Basic things began to stop. I, I stopped drinking a lot. I stopped getting drunk. I stopped partying. I stopped doing things that were honoring to God. I began to say, okay, I'm not perfect, but I want to get better and I want to draw near to him. And then this thing happened like 20 some years goes by. And I've been following him. Can I tell you now, the, the idea of needing to be nurtured by God, that he transforms and changes you, it never stops. And, and 20 years ago, it was those typical things, you know, that a 19-year-old may struggle with. And as God began to free me in those areas of my life, I wasn't tempted as much by some of those sin struggles anymore. And some of you think that's not possible. Yes, over time it can be, to not just have victory, but freedom. But what happens now is different. Now, I could go about my life. Some of you have been Christians long enough. Dude, let's be real. We could go about our lives and be a good person in the community, not do some of those things that overtly sinful that people would judge us for, and, but yet not ever have God really in our life and just go about doing good things and people would just assume God is with us. I want to tell you, man, God has been reminding me this week, we miss out on his power and his authority when we don't allow him to continually nurture our soul. That process does not stop when you first become a follower of Jesus. It continues for the remainder of our lives. He has power and might, but he desires to nurture us right where we are. Number two, if you're taking notes, just because he has power and might and wants to nurture us, don't confuse that, that you're going to understand him. God is incomprehensible. If you ever thought about this, like there's, there's no way that you, an ant, could understand the ways of a human being. Unless you watch Ant-Man, because they got, like, really intelligent in that movie. I don't, anyway, it wasn't that great a movie. But actually, I liked it, but other people didn't. But I wanted to tell you this morning, not to preach on Ant-Man, I wanted to tell you this morning that we can't understand God's ways just like an ant can't understand a human being. 
In fact, he says this in verse 12 to 14, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand or with the breath of his hand marked off the heavens? Who has held the dust of the earth in a basket or weighed the mountains on the scales and the hills in the balance? He goes farther. Who can fathom the spirit of the Lord or instruct the Lord as his counselor? Whom did the Lord consult to enlighten him? And who taught him the right way? Who was it that taught him knowledge or showed him the path of understanding? He's like, could you weigh the mountains? Could you understand how to create the universe in six days? Yet most of us, I won't say you, but myself included, I often want to get myself into a place where I want to tell God what he's doing wrong. Who's with me? God, if you would just do this thing that I've been asking and praying for, then people would know that you're God and you could finally be the person and being you were meant to be. And we will begin to make God in our image rather than being made in his image. I don't know about you, but you can get to a really dark place really quick today. I told you the tumultuous times in our culture. Let me take you there. That'd be fun, wouldn't it? Think about it today with all the death around us and we went through a global pandemic and now we have a war in Ukraine and we have fears of uh, United States and China conflict and we have all kinds of things to worry about. And then we have people uh, dying in our culture and racism still exists and infants never are given a chance at life and there's all kinds of pain and suffering and we begin to say, God, where are you at in all this stuff? And, and then you have things happen in your own life and your family member gets sick and, and they don't make it. And I want to turn to God, and you know, I mentioned this is our 16-year anniversary. It's also the 12-year anniversary this week on the 9th of uh, our second son passing away due to a genetic disorder. And if I could be vulnerable just to say, like, God, why let that happen? What a, what a chance to show your healing power, and yet you didn't do it. And yet it was through that thing in my life where God began to grow my faith to understand, do you really want to serve a God that you can comprehend? Do you want the God of the universe that created everything in six days to have the same comprehension of math and science that you have? <laughs> you know, I had uh, three years of chemistry. It was an easier subject for me. And I still remember uh, a number, Avogadro's number. Any scientists, are you with me? 6.02 times 10 to the 23rd power. Come on. Two people, two people were nodding their heads. Everybody was like, what are you talking about? I, I, I took three years of chemistry. I can remember this giant number, Avogadro's number. I have no idea why it's important, its significance, where it came from, why there's to the 23rd power. And that is like basic first year chemistry. Why do we think that we want to understand God and his ways? not just with math and science, not just in the creation of the universe. Why do we think we want to understand of ways of why he does things? We see with such finite eyes and such a small mind in comparison to the mighty powerful arm of God that could see everything that is all powerful, all knowing, that is outside of time, that can see the big picture and what he's actually doing and he, what he's actually going to do for eternity. And yet we want to understand his ways. I would argue that as a human being, if you're considering following a God, you do not want to follow a God that you can comprehend. You want to follow a God that we read about in scripture who tells the Israelites, guys, can you weigh the mountains? Do you think you can understand any of this stuff? 
All that I ask is that you trust me. By the way, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that there was not a time Jesus was not. He was there in the creation of the world when the spirit hovered over the water, that the Trinity existed even then, that God and one God and three persons. And he's telling us that, hey, there was not a time we were not because we know God knows that I am here to help you to have eternity with me, to be redeemed by me. And I get the big picture and you're just getting a tiny little dot on a very long eternal line. I was thinking about that and the questions that I have for God, why do you do these things? And I I came to the conclusion that I'm sometimes not going to get the answer to my why questions this side of heaven. And that's okay because John 3, 16 For whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The word believe in Greek comes from the root word pisteo, which means to believe or to have faith or to trust. That literally the word in scripture, you cannot believe just in your head cognitively, like, yeah, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. You can't just believe that without trusting him in your life. That's the type of belief it's talking about. And so he says, you can't comprehend my ways, but you can trust my character. The problem is that we often fail in that area and we do number three. We are prone to worship false gods or idols. That's what happened to the Israelites time and again, right? Moses goes up to the mountaintop. They come down, giant golden calf. <laughs> they just, he's like, I just parted a Red Sea. Come on. You, you couldn't wait just a little while? And it happens repeatedly throughout Israelite history. Look with me in verse 15 again. Surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They're regarded as dust. Look down to verse 16. Lebanon is not sufficient for altar fires, nor its animals for burnt offerings. Like, what does that mean? Lebanon was like a luxurious place where the the nice wood would be taken. He's like, you couldn't even, that's not even justice to who God is. You could not build an altar that is truly worthy of the God that we serve. And instead, we, we do things as he goes on in verses 17 and 18. Before him, all the nations are nothing. They are regarded as him as worthless and less than nothing. With whom then will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? As for an idol, a metal worker casts it and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and fashions silver chains for it. A person too poor to present such an offering selects wood that will not rot. They look for a skilled worker to set up an idol that will not topple. Whether you're poor or rich in the passage, it says that we are all prone to idols and false gods in our culture. You're like, dude, uh, I don't have a statue in <laughs> my basement. Uh, no metal workers made anything. Yeah, but it's where your time, your talents, your treasures, your devotion is going. I used this analogy a little while ago. If somebody told you that you had uh, tickets to the Super Bowl and the Colts were in it and they were supposed to win the Super Bowl, and you got tickets in the front row on the 50-yard line, and, and the week leading up to the Super Bowl, God began to tell you to give those tickets away and to go serve him to a poor, needy community. How many of you are going to the Super Bowl anyway? Right? Because the enemy knows how to get to us. You're like, I've not gotten Super Bowl tickets, and I don't have a metal idol in my basement. I'm doing all right. No, look, Enemy will find ways to just get to you to draw your devotion, your time, and your talents away from the things of God. For some of us, it might be our sports team, that we're more devoted to 
the Pacers or the Indiana Hoosiers or whoever. You're like, that's blasphemy. Hey, a little quick side note, by the way. I wanted my youngest son to, uh, he told me recently that he had started being a Purdue fan. Pray for me. You didn't seem as offended as I did. And so I got the great idea. I'm going to take him to an Indiana basketball game. Michigan game was too expensive. So I took him to another where there's going to be another black and gold team at Assembly Hall. The Iowa Hawkeyes this last week. I thought this is going to be an easy win, us beating a black and gold team. And then we had the worst loss of the entire season. So nothing to do with my sermon, but I need some help with my children because he's rooting for Purdue. I don't know what your devotion or your idol, uh, your false god of what you're worshiping is. Maybe it's your child's sports career. Maybe it's the thing that you put first on the calendar that takes away your devotion to God. What I know in my life too, sometimes it's comfort that I chase. To turn to what is comfortable and easy rather than doing the hard things that God is asking me to do in my life. The time of growth and nurturing of the shepherd over our soul never ends, and you have to understand that we're all prone to these false gods and idols. We have to prepare. We have to understand that our devotion is only to God. For some of us, it's chasing after relationships or that husband or that wife. It's the idol has become having a child, or maybe it's your job. For many people, it's our political ideologies that our our party in the political parties is our primary place of devotion, and we make Scripture fit our devotion to a political party rather than orienting ourselves around Scripture first and saying, regardless of our political ideologies, I want to serve God to the utmost. I don't know what the idol is in your life, but I do know that we are all prone to it and idolatry is rampant in our culture today. The easy one is sex and romantic relationships, sexuality, drugs, alcohol, the things that we can see on television and advertisements that the enemy uses literally to entice us to get us to purchase products today in our culture because he knows it works. And until we allow God to be the primary devotion of our life, and some people might say, yeah, but that, that gets to be those weird, crazy Christians. I'm not telling you you have to be out there yelling angry things in a bullhorn, but I want to tell you that you should have the devotion in the heart that you would do anything to help people draw near to the God, the shepherd of our soul. In fact, as we're thinking about this, of what gets in the way, maybe for some of you, those idols have begun to break up your even passion for God and things in today's culture. Tim Keller puts it this way. If we look to some created thing to give us meaning, hope, and happiness that only God himself can give, it will eventually fail to deliver, and it will break our hearts. Uh, John Watts, uh, an Old Testament scholar who wrote a commentary on Isaiah, he he talks about that even in verse 5 when it says the nations that we're afraid of and, and, and our political ideologies that he says this about that. So the people are accused of a lack of trust. They're afraid, the Israelites are afraid of the other nations. And so they no longer trust that God is going to provide for them. And he says, which is akin to idolatry. Is idolatry of the mind that demands that God and his word make sense to them. They want God to convince them to listen to their plan, which compares him to nations and to governments that they know or that they have known. They expect God to fit his plans to their specifications. Woo! 
How many of you, you've developed one, five, 10-year goals? Some of you got Excel spreadsheets for stuff, and you know exactly where you want your life to turn out. And I just want to ask you the most important question of your life. Have you turned to God first in that process? Planning is a good thing, but inviting God into our plans is a must. To say, I will have no other God, including myself, that thinks that I'm going to control you, God, and make you into my image. I don't want to serve a God that I control. I want to serve an uncontrollable God that I can't even comprehend or understand. And I want to begin to orient my life around you and your word. I want to surrender to your will for my life rather than trying to get you to bend to mine. And that is the struggle in today's culture, which most of us will never get to that point. Even as we age and get older, I find myself finding new temptations that the enemy uses of like, well, you know, I did that for a number of years and now it's time to just rest and, you know, you know, find comfort and avoid. No, God is not done with you yet. In fact, the fourth and final point that I want to share with you is I think sometimes We begin to grow in our faith enough that we become comfortable with God, which is amazing. He is our friend, and he brings grace and forgiveness and redemption. He wants to nurture you and draw you near as uh, a shepherd would, a young lamb. But don't forget this. There is no thing like our God. He's not some little being that you could ever even comprehend or control or dictate to. In fact, Isaiah says it this way in verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? (laughs) He's like, guys, I've been telling you since the creation of the world how much might and power and authority I have. And yet you're here and you're afraid of these other nations and the tumultuous times that you live in rather than trusting me in this important time in human history. Have you not understood since the earth was founded? Verse 22, he sits enthroned. And the reason worry creeps in is because we often sit enthroned. But he tells us and reminds us, he sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and his people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. He brings princes to naught and reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. No sooner are they planted, no sooner are they sown, no sooner do they take root in the ground than he blows on them and they wither and whirlwind sweeps them away like chafe. To whom will you compare me, God says, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look into the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name because of his great power and mighty strength. Not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? He says, do you see the billions of stars in the sky, in the universe? And I, I hold them all together. I, I, I was there in the creation of the world. You can't even fathom my ways or understand me. You're prone to the idolatry of other things in this world. And yet I continue to pursue you and love you like a good shepherd does for its lambs that have gone astray. But I want to tell you, don't think that you understand me. And why do you stop and complain, Jacob? Israel, why do you turn to other nations to protect you like Egypt? Why instead you should turn to me, the God of the universe, to help you in your time of need? I'll meet people all the time. You struggle financially, so you go get a second or third job, and which is great to provide for your family. Working hard is a good thing, but you never stop to say, God, where are you at in this? I need you. Be with me. You're missing the power and the authority and the might of God in your life. 
You're struggling with drugs and alcohol and you, you want to overcome it and you will it and you will it and you will it. But scripture teaches us in 2 Timothy 1.7, for he does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-discipline or self-control. So if you're struggling with self-control and self-discipline, if you're struggling with love, if you don't have the power to overcome, you've got the one in your corner who can help you out and your willpower won't be enough. If you're struggling with sexual addiction and pornography and turning to false gods and idols in those areas, and it's just rampant in our culture today, rather than feeling shame and in a community like this, I could never bring this up. What if the power and the authority of God Almighty made it oh, the, the most important thing for you to do to confess to your loving community that you want that type of power and might in your life because he wants to supply you with it? The self-discipline and self-control of not doing it on your own. That's the God that we serve. He wants to bring you in. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded. The struggle is, it leads us to this point that most of us in our culture, if we make ourselves our own God, we don't want to do, which is to have the humility to do this beautiful action, to repent. Repent means I'm heading this way in my life and I realize I don't have it together and I'm going to do a 180 and I'm going to turn to God and I'm going to have the humility to admit what's going on in my life. God, I've been pursuing sexual lust for a long time and it's getting worse and I'll recover a little bit on my willpower and I'll think things are going good. I'll tell everybody everything's fine and then I'll go right back to it and then I won't tell them again because I already messed up rather than doing this beautiful thing, repenting, turning into a 180 and return to the shepherd that wants to nurture your soul. He has the power and the might and the authority to address it. But the problem is for many of us, not just in sex or sexuality even, or our area of our finances, or, or if you find yourself not being a loving person or a kind, compassionate, grace-filled person, uh, we don't want you to feel guilt and shame over your lack of being God. What we want you to do is do this beautiful thing and repent and draw near to the one who is God. And then to base our choices and our decisions off of how he tells us to live. What his words say about our finances. What his words say about sex and sexuality. What his word says about how to orient our family and life today to pursue him in his best. What his words say about how to be a loving, kind person to those of us around, those around us. If we have the power and the might of the spirit of God that hovered over the waters and the creation of the earth, he could help us to address any issue that we're facing today but you can't have any other gods before him. If you allow that, you'll miss out on all that power and might because he doesn't want to destroy you. That's what Satan, the devil, and the enemy wants to do. He wants to actually help you. Look how the verses end, verses 28 to 31. Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. Some of you feel like you've repented before and you've turned back to God and you've just gone back to the same place or you have questions that you don't understand about his word. It doesn't line up with what you want it to be. And he says, if you come to me with humility and say, I'm gonna make you Lord and line my life up with your word first, I'm gonna trust you and not just believe cognitively in my head, he does not grow tired and weary of helping you. He never will. 
In his understanding, no one can fathom. Verse 29, he gives strength to the weary, increases the power of the weak. If you're weary today spiritually, if you feel weak, invite him in. Repent and invite his spirit in. Spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. But those who hope in the Lord, verse 31, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. His desire for you is to soar spiritually with him, to be able to do the things we've been talking about, chase dreams for him, do these great grandiose things in his name to help those in need and proclaim your faith in Jesus. But it's gonna require the humility to make him God and not ourselves enthroned. I'll close with this. It's easier said than done to do that. And we have the perfect example of how to do that. And it was in Jesus. He had all the power and the authority of the same substance of God. And yet in his humility, he chose up to give his life as a ransom for us today. Crucified, whipped with the cat of nine tails 39 times because 40 would kill you. Then nailed to a cross where he suffocated to death in front of his mom. All so that we could be atoned and covered up for all our sin and wrongdoing. But we have to turn to him, acknowledge our condition, repent and be restored and made new to make him Lord. I want to give each of us the opportunity to do that. Will you pray with me, God? What a beautiful thing that we can come near to a perfect, powerful God, a mighty God who has the authority to change things in our life in this world. So we come to you in humility and acknowledge that we're not God. Maybe there's some people in the room, you've been Christians a long time, but you know there's been some areas in your life God's been trying to work on you, new idols that have uh, shown themselves in your life, and you want to repent this morning and draw near to the shepherd of your soul. If that's you, pray this with me. God, I confess that I need you. I repent. I'm sorry. I do a 180 for that, that area of my life that I've been struggling in. I want to trust you, God. I want to continue to grow in faith. And so I surrender my life to you as Lord. And then maybe for some in the room, you've had so many questions about God, you've never tried actually submitting to him, to make him Lord. And I want to give you the opportunity to do that. Maybe for the very first time or to recommit your life fully to him as Lord. And pray this with me, God, I know you love us right where you're at, we're at. You know what we've been doing. You know the, the sin in our life and the idols in our life. And yet you continue to pursue us. You do not grow tired and weary. And so if there's even one human being in here or online or one soul this morning that needs to repent and turn home to you, to surrender everything in their life to you as Lord, I pray right now, God, that we would do that. Pray this with me. God, I confess that I need you. I repent of the sin and wrongdoing in my life. I draw near to you as a perfect God who is almighty and powerful, and I submit everything in my life to you as Lord. Use me, Jesus. I'm fully yours. We love you, and we pray this in your name. And all God's family said, amen. Amen.